This is The Guardian. Morning, everybody. I'm Jane Lee, and this is The Full Story. Obviously, Dr Chan and I are here to talk about um, some of the measures that people can take to protect themselves in what is now a fairly challenging time in terms of COVID. A new winter wave of COVID-19 infections is spreading across Australia. And we expect this wave to peak in late July and early August. There are on average 30,000 new COVID cases each day. Ambulance Victoria was forced to issue a code red this morning after demand for paramedics outstrips and COVID hospital admissions have reached their highest level in five months, putting greater pressure on healthcare workers who are already struggling with staff shortages and flu patients. The government has made a fourth vaccine dose available to millions more people. It is crucial that you get a fourth booster dose as soon as possible. So what's driving this new wave of COVID infections and how do we fight it? Today, the winter wave of COVID-19. It's Wednesday, the 13th of July. So Mel, we're in what many are calling a winter wave of infections driven by these new sub-variants of the virus Omicron BA4 and 5. Can you tell me exactly how these are different from the other Omicron variants? Although they are much less lethal than previous variants, such as Delta, vaccination is less effective in preventing symptoms and spread, especially without your third or fourth vaccine dose. Melissa Davey is Guardian Australia's medical editor. Basically, these subvariants are absolute masters at evading immunity. The vaccines are still very, very good at preventing hospitalisation and death against these Omicron strains. That's really important to note. So what that means is that even though we've got a very highly vaccinated population in Australia and we've got a population that has been infected with previous variants, we're still seeing those tens of thousands of new cases each day that you mentioned. So to put it into context, a piece just published in the Medical Journal of Australia describes how 95% of all of Australia's COVID cases have occurred just since the new year. So almost 3,000 Australians died of COVID in the first quarter of this year. We've had just over 10,000 deaths total. So that places it between coronary heart disease and stroke as the major cause of death. Right. Coronary heart disease is still the biggest killer of men. Dementia is still the biggest killer of women. But just in that short period, we saw COVID overtake as the leading cause of death. With the driving cause of those deaths being these new subvariants of COVID. That's right. In very um, vulnerable and immunosuppressed people who usually haven't had their full course of COVID vaccines. So do these new subvariants cause different symptoms than the original Omicron variant of the virus? Evidence to date does suggest that in people who are healthy and young, they're not vulnerable, they don't have comorbidities, and in people who are vaccinated, Omicron is a mild disease. So you'll still likely get some unpleasant symptoms. It won't be great. You'll need at least a few days off and common symptoms, but it is hard to really know for sure which variant you've got. Mm. There were also some reports around recently that Omicron has more of an effect on the lungs than other variants, but I think it's really important to note that this was from a study in hamsters and you just absolutely cannot replicate results in an animal study and apply them to humans. So I think it's fair to say we're still gathering data um, from the general population about symptoms and severity of Omicron, but it does appear to cause a milder disease and we will continue to learn more about it. So to combat this new wave, Mel, the 
federal government has recently opened up access to a fourth dose of COVID vaccines. Who's eligible for this now? Yes. So already everyone over 65 and residents of aged care and disability care facilities, people with certain chronic conditions and comorbidities were already eligible for their fourth booster. So that's since March. But last Thursday, the federal government's health minister, Mark Butler, announced that ATAGI has updated its recommendations, expanding the fourth dose eligibility to anyone over the age of 30. The major focus of the fourth dose campaign is to reduce that risk of severe disease, hospitalisation and death, which is why there's such a strong focus on people aged over 50, uh, as well as younger people who have compromised immunity or other health conditions. So they recommend that people over 50 should have their fourth dose, but for people aged over 30 to 49, they may choose to have their fourth dose. What um, ATAGI says is that this younger group, aged between 30 and 49, is at relatively low risk, I say relatively low risk, of severe disease, hospitalisation or death. Right. So why is the advice from ATAGI different for people over 50 and then for this compared to this younger group aged between 30 and 49? So I spoke to infectious diseases physician and Kirby Institute professor Greg Dore about this, and he said the stronger language for the older age groups, the should get vaccinated, is because three doses still offers good protection against severe disease and death in those younger age groups. But we know that from the death data, people over 50 and, and vulnerable people are really overrepresented in that death data, and they often haven't had their fourth or even third dose. Mm. So... For that older age group, we know that the fourth booster is really essential to prevent that hospitalisation and severe disease. Only 60% of people aged 65 and over have actually received their fourth booster dose, which is really concerning. So those people are the ones that really need to be encouraged to make an appointment as soon as possible. What about people under 30? When will they be able to get their fourth booster, do you think? It's just not really on the radar yet um, for people under 30. And that's because data shows that a fourth dose has really minimal impact on healthy young people. Mm. Atagi said it's still unclear whether the benefits of a fourth dose in this age group outweigh the risks. And the World Health Organization also said in May that the benefit is minimal from the data they've looked at from all around the world. Mm. So Atagi actually says that the impact of fourth doses in the younger over 30 group is less likely to have a, an impact on hospitalizations and, and death and that other public health measures, in addition to vaccination, will have a bigger impact. So things like wearing a mask in um, high-risk environments, for example. There are also Omicron-specific vaccines that are currently being made. So I suppose if you're a younger person, would you be better off waiting for a more targeted Omicron vaccine when it becomes available later on rather than, um, you know, opting for that fourth booster at this stage, given that's not the priority right now? Yeah, so still good definitely to get your three doses um, as soon as you're eligible. We know that there have been two vaccines that specifically target the Omicron variant that have been granted provisional determination by Australia's drugs regulator, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, or, or TGA as I'll call them. So that provisional determination means that 
Pfizer now has six months. Pfizer is the maker of the vaccines. They've got six months to give more data to the TGA from human trials to show how this treatment works, is it safe, why it's needed. And even then, the TGA needs to take time to examine all the data and it will only approve the vaccines for registration and wider use in Australia if they're really happy that this is needed, that it's safe, that it's effective. So we are several months away at least from these vaccines, these Omicron targeting vaccines, from being available outside of clinical trials. I think it's also important to note that um, these Omicron vaccines that Pfizer have presented to Australia they target the BA1 Omicron subvariant, and what is circulating at the moment in Australia is BA4 and BA5. So Pfizer is still gathering data about how effective these vaccines are against BA4 and BA5, and definitely the Australian regulators will want to see that data before they make it more widely available. So with all of that in mind, that it is still probably at least several months away before we get these Omicron-specific vaccines. Even with all of that in mind, um, Kirby Institute professor Greg Dore does say that it is reasonable to wait. If you're healthy with no other risk factors, you've had your three vaccine doses and maybe you've had a recent COVID infection, for example. So Mel, what about people who've just had COVID? When will they be eligible for their fourth dose of the vaccine? So the advice is the same. You still wait three months from your previous vaccine dose to get your booster dose, or you wait three months from being infected. So whatever was most recent for you, you wait three months before getting that additional booster dose. Now, in recent days, the health advice in Australia has been updated to warn that you can be reinfected with COVID after as little as 28 days from your previous infection. Mm. With this advice, it's important to note a couple of things. They're talking about it's possible to get reinfected if you were previously infected with a different subvariant. So if you've been infected earlier this year, for example, with Omicron BA1 or Omicron BA2, you can get Omicron BA4 or BA5 as soon as 28 days after that infection. So people are saying, well, why shouldn't I get my booster then 28 days after my infection? And that's because this won't apply to most of the population. Not everyone is going to be getting reinfected after 28 days. And this is mostly for people who were previously infected with BA1 or BA2. They're at risk of getting reinfected with BA4, BA5. ATAGI advice has to apply to the general population and what is applicable to most. And so for most people, they're not going to get that infection between doses. They should still wait three months. And we know that waiting three months between booster doses does elicit the, the best immune response, the best protection against the virus. And that's why that particular advice hasn't changed. I was also speaking to a professor in viral immunology, Professor Cassandra Berry, about this. And she said that Atagi are using the rationale that either a booster or a natural virus infection with COVID will provide protection against severe disease, hospitalisation and death. So it doesn't provide, you know, protection against reinfection. It does provide some additional protection, but it's not great. So she said the key point is to keep recently infected people alert to test for reinfection if they develop symptoms as soon as 28 days post-COVID. So the, the message needs to be don't go about your daily life if... 28 days after infection, you start to get symptoms again. You should get tested, you should isolate, and this will help protect the broader community. 
next, new subvariants and new antiviral medications. So given that the reinfection period is changing with these new Omicron subvariants, have isolation and testing advice changed? Yes, health advice is changing around testing and isolation. So always check the website of your state and territory health department. It's always changing. So that's the best place to go. But already New South Wales, Tasmania, Victoria, Western Australia have made it really clear that people who have symptoms of COVID-19 more than 28 days from their release from isolation after testing positive, should test again and they should isolate for at least seven days if they test positive. So they're really encouraging people to be aware of symptoms from that 28-day mark to get tested and to repeat that isolation process if they do test positive. And this will be treated as a new infection, a brand new COVID case, whereas previously it might have been seen as, you know, ongoing viral shedding from the previous infection. It wouldn't have been counted as a new infection until now. Mel, there are a number of antiviral medications also becoming available for people who have COVID now. Who's eligible for them? Yeah, these are really amazing treatments that we have that obviously we didn't have early in the pandemic. And we've now got these treatments that can prevent people from getting severe disease and from ending up in hospital and dying. So they're really important. And the Federal Health Minister, Mark Butler, announced that there is now expanded eligibility criteria for these antiviral drugs so more people can access them. Well, I'm announcing today that everyone aged 70 or over will have access to these antiviral medicines, so tablets, capsules that you can take at home. Only recently, to get antiviral treatment, you had to go into hospital and have it intravenously. So now, if you are over 70, you will automatically have access to those medicines on the PBS, so probably only $6 just for for a a round of that. So these are antivirals called Paxlovid and Legevrio, and they're taken soon after COVID diagnosis. So they need to be taken within the first five days usually of um, symptoms developing. So it's really important for people to test early and to know they've got COVID early so they can get on to getting these medications. This five-day window of treatment is really important because if you don't get the medications in time, they're not going to work as well. They're not going to prevent you from getting that severe disease. Who is eligible to get these antivirals? So at the moment, the people who are eligible are all Australians over 70 with COVID, along with people aged over 50 with two or more risk factors for severe disease. And Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders over 30 with two or more risk factors are also eligible. So... With all that in mind, there have been some access issues to these drugs and this is still important even though eligibility has been expanded. People need to know they're eligible. If you don't see your GP quickly enough, then there's no point taking these medications. So we still really need to get the message out there that if you qualify, you need to test early and see your GP early to see if you're eligible for these drugs. You can't stock up with these medications and keep them on hand just in case you get COVID. And 
The reason for this is because these antivirals, although they're very good and we're lucky to have them, they can be quite harsh on the body in the way that they interact with other medications. Right. So it sounds like those antivirals are, you know, going to be very useful, but probably only for more vulnerable and older Australians, really. That's right. And we need to keep driving home the message about who is eligible for them and that people need to go and talk to their GP about getting access to those medications. Okay. So Mel, the government's working to increase older Australians and some younger Australians access to boosters to prevent further infection. And they're also making antiviral medications available to those vulnerable people who are infected. But will that be enough to stop this latest wave of infections by itself? So um, vaccines and especially these antiviral medicines, of course, are very, very useful at reducing the burden on hospitals. If people are actually getting them. So we need to make sure, as we mentioned earlier, that those vulnerable people are actually getting their booster shots. So even the third dose, the access to that and the uptake of that isn't high enough in those high risk groups. And again, as we mentioned, those antivirals will depend on people actually knowing about them and getting access to them. So those things will help. But Atagi did say that the broader fourth dose rollout to people over 30 isn't going to have a significant impact on hospitalisation and death. Um, So it may reduce the risk of infection and passing the virus on a little bit, but it's not going to be enough to significantly have an impact on infection rates um, by giving younger people access to that fourth dose. So I spoke with the president of the Australian Medical Association, Dr. Omar Korshid, about the antiviral and vaccine approach and whether that will be enough. And I also spoke to the vice president of the AMA, Dr. Chris Moy, who's a GP, and they both told me that there's some very mixed messaging going on at the moment. So on the one hand, the government is urging people to get boosted. They're urging vulnerable people to be aware of antivirals and they're spreading this message that hospitals are overwhelmed and they need to be helped by people uptaking these medications. At the same time, the federal government and most of the state governments really don't want to go anywhere near any talk of mask mandates. So they're using language like um, strongly encouraging or strongly urging people to wear masks indoors in public spaces, but they're not mandating it. And then in the meantime, the federal government has also removed telehealth Medicare items for extended GP consults. So those people who are eligible for antivirals, they need an extended consult. And that's probably going to be over the phone because they're infectious. They don't want to go into their GP's office. And those appointments take time because there are all these drug interactions that doctors need to go through before prescribing those medications. So the most vulnerable people who rely on these Medicare subsidized telehealth services will now find it much harder to make appointments to get access to these medications from their doctor. So what the president and vice president of the AMA were saying to me is is that the governments are really relying very heavily on vaccines and antivirals and hoping that that will be enough to get us through this wave. So overall, it's good that we have better access to these pharmaceutical approaches, the vaccines and the antivirals. But the question is, will it be enough without going really strong on other public health measures like social distancing and masks? So what are governments saying about returning to these kinds of public health measures to help contain this latest wave? 
So the federal health minister, Mark Butler, has repeatedly ruled out expanding mask mandates. We're now well into the third year of this pandemic, and I think the view across the health authorities, the chief health officers and certainly leaders of government, uh, is that um, we've passed the time of very broad-based mask mandates. He's recommending that people wear face coverings in crowded places. Mm. And I think that one of the issues is probably that in most states and territories, There are environments where masks are still mandated, such as on public transport or in hospitals and health settings. And yet even in those environments where it is still required to wear a mask, there are reports that uptake is really low. Mm. If these mandates in high risk environments are already not being followed, then will a broader mask mandate work? There's also little enforcement occurring anymore. And then you also add in different community attitudes about the pandemic, different levels of immunity and all of those other factors. And you can see why governments are perhaps struggling a bit with whether to introduce a mandate or not. However, the AMA president, Dr. Omar Khorshid, has said to political leaders that they need to follow any advice that they do get from their chief health officers and and other public health experts that are advising governments in the coming days and weeks as the cases continue to grow. So political leaders really need to follow that advice. That was Melissa Davey, medical editor at Guardian Australia. You can read more of Melissa's reporting on the pandemic at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Laura Briley-Newton and Karishma Luthria. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Molly Glassy and Gabrielle Jackson. I'm Jane Lee. I'll see you tomorrow.